Here are your hosts, Kevin Merrow and Mark Kephart. What's up, guys? We are the Trad Geeks podcast presented by Kuyu. I'm Mark. I'm Kevin. Got a ton of stuff going on this episode. Dan Johnson of Nine Finger Chronicles. Can you guess why he's Nine Finger Chronicles? Hmm. He's got nine fingers, also known as Dallas Fort Worth. to talk about a lot going on pretty exciting stuff too. some prizes to give away yeah i love giveaway stuff and we get to talk about whitetail so can't beat that because we are a week from tomorrow away from opening day here in pa which means your daughter is due a week from tomorrow yeah. <laughs> that's yep. so cool oh man i wish she'd come already <laughs> get it so. out of the way so you can hunt <laughs> Uh, not only that, but my wife is ready to give birth. I'm sure. So I know my wife was too. <laughs> I'm excited either way. I just wish she'd come yeah, sooner, sooner than later. Yeah, I'm stoked to meet her, but we got other cool things to talk about other than your daughter. Like my daughter, who is four weeks old tomorrow. <laughs> She's thinking cute. I was wearing a nice, comfortable shirt. <laughs> <laughs> before the podcast and uh she threw up all over it and for our giveaway we uh the giveaway that we did last well it was two weeks ago because we skipped a week but we had submissions on instagram guys take pictures of their bows and tag trad geeks contest and all the submissions were so awesome and we couldn't pick one so we're putting everybody's name in a hat and we're gonna draw it um, and we're actually going to video that to put on Instagram. And so we're going to pull the audio from the camera for that. So that'll be pretty neat that we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. the other thing we're going to talk about is Tradbow Productions, which was, used to be all the content and stuff that I'd throw together, my Instagram account and my Facebook page. Um, so we'll dive into the future of that, which is nothing. <laughs> but it's a good thing we're stoked on it i'm stoked on it yeah then, it just kind of sums things up it kind of confused everyone yeah what was going on but so, so a little continuity change there that hopefully will make things easier to find us also we're doing our first user submitted story which is going to be pretty neat we had some awesome submissions and uh, we just decided to go with the very first one that we got um, just because we read it and loved it. And then we read a bunch of other ones and loved them all too. So we figured it was just easiest just to read off the first. So keep sending those in to, to tradgeeks at gmail.com. And uh, hopefully we can get yours on an upcoming show. Absolutely. And the submitter of this week that we picked blaine is actually getting a maven optics hat too so we're going to be sending that his way that is awesome little we're, surprise yeah that's cool and maven is actually sponsoring that segment which is going to be so sweet um so they're they're sending a hat out to blaine and uh 
they're pretty nice hats. I've got one sitting on the table, and if you watch the Instagram video, it's actually a Maven hat that we're going to pull the name out of for the Stalkers in the Backcountry DVD giveaway. So that's pretty awesome. As always, we'd like to send a special thanks to our podcast sponsor, Kuyu. They are an awesome partner to work with. They design and manufacture specialized ultralight hunting apparel and equipment. To order or obtain more info, check out Kuyu at www.kuyu.com or call their customer service department at 855-367-5848. We're just going to get into our conversation with Dan because we had a blast. We got Dan Johnson with us today. He is from... The Wired to Hunt uh, podcast, and he also runs the Nine Finger Chronicles. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely, man. I've been following you for a long time when you were back with uh, WKP and you were doing films and stuff like that, and always looked up to what you were doing in the whitetail world. So before I really got into whitetail hunting, I mean, I was always into whitetail hunting, but never really followed... uh, all the real details that I need to follow, I guess you could say, with wind direction and all that stuff. I pretty much just went and hunted my stands until I started following you back then. But tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you started into hunting. Oh, man, I can make this a long story or I can make it a short story, but I'll give you the medium story for time's sake. Perfect. Uh, I, uh, my very first bow was actually a traditional bow. And, uh, this old timer had it in his garage and, uh, he would take the top of buckets, like uh, a bucket top and he would roll it. And I was, I was supposed to treat it like a rabbit and lead it and try to, try to, you know, uh, shoot the, shoot the rolling bucket lid. And that's how I, that was my first ever archery experience. Um, after that, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I got my very first compound bow at a garage sale. And, uh, my mom took me out into the middle of the country, dropped me off. And I basically just, just hopped a fence and, uh, hunted on this property. I didn't know who the landowner was, but you know, back then a lot of people didn't care, although I probably was trespassing. Uh, and then, it was about 2006 is when I started seriously getting into bow hunting. And that's when I started also filming my hunts. That's when I kind of cannonballed into uh, the sport and uh, not only, you know, just hunting, but, you know, learning as much as I possibly could as well. That's awesome, man. Before we really dive right into the whitetail stuff, which is what I want to focus on primarily, but I understand you just got back from Idaho. How was that? I tell you what, it rained a lot. (laughs) It it rained a lot. So uh, I went out there with Mark Kenyon, and uh, we spent a lot of time in the tent. And when we weren't in a tent, we were walking straight uphill. And uh, it was, I tell you what, the hunting sucked. There was other hunters in the area, so there was hunting pressure. Um, The elk were really high and really far away from even our base camp. And... uh, that combined with the rain just made it real tough. But I tell you, uh, I loved every moment of it. Nice. Uh, the, awesome. the scenery was amazing, and that that's worth it. Awesome. And so you've only done a couple hunts out west, correct? You're kind of new to that. That whole. If you want to call, yeah. If you want to call Nebraska uh, a western hunt, I went to west like 
west central Nebraska in the sand hills and chase some muleys and antelope. And then this was my first mountain hunt. Awesome, man. Hey, it's west of Pennsylvania, so it counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you find like were your struggles with uh, hunting out west and just getting involved in it? You know, it there's a lot of research some one needs to do before they head out, like zones. You know, it's not it's not like certain states where you can buy a tag and you can hunt anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. You got to pay attention to zones and then uh, conditioning is the big one as far as, you know, you don't have to be Cameron Haynes and be able to <laughs> carry a moose up, <laughs> carry a moose up a mountain. But um, I worked a lot on my legs and on, uh, on my conditioning and uh, I still felt like a turd when I, when I got out there, it was, you can't, you can't simulate the thin air, man. Yeah. Who was in better shape, you or Mark? Well, Mark had a, a three-month head start. Jeez. He, uh, he uh, lived out there for three months this year. So, mm. yeah, there was times he was making me look bad. But I, uh, towards the end of the trip, when my legs started, you know, getting acclimated to the elevation and my lungs and heart were, you know, kind of in gear, I, I think I kept up with him fairly well. I figured he'd rub that in if he was beaten. Yeah, so. Oh, he did. He did. <laughs> that, and that's funny you mentioned that. I just uh, We just partnered with gillhunt.com, and if you haven't heard of them, you should definitely check them out. But their website um, allows individuals who, or anyone, in, in fact, who hasn't hunted out west, it limits their research to practically nothing. It's like a one-stop shop for everything. Um, it just, it goes through everything you need to know about hunting out West as far as units, tags, uh, landowner tags, um, just countless information that you would search for hours trying to find all in one spot. So, yeah, that's, uh, that, that right there is half the battle, finding a place to hunt and then, uh, finding success rates and all that stuff. And, and then once you get out there, all your research is, I mean, I instantly, found flaws in my gear like the the first and second day i was out there you know never been out there and every place i took shortcuts financially were exposed so i borrowed a tent i had water in my tent um i cut you know i didn't buy the best pair of boots i I had wet boots you know Mm -hmm. so any any place that i i mean mother nature will get (laughs) you she's no fun yeah (laughs) Right on, man. Well, on the uh, on the Wired to Hunt podcast, you get to interview some of the best whitetail guys out there. So let's kind of shift into whitetail hunting because that's your bread and butter. Um, we've seen you kill some studs of bucks, which is awesome. Um, but out of all the information that you've weaned and that you've experienced, what do you think is the most consistent throughout uh, kind of chasing whitetail? I think patience. Um And it's not really, it's not really even a tactic one can implement, you know, like with wind direction and stuff like that. It's for me, I used to be the kind of guy who's like, it's October 1st. I'm going into (laughs) the best possible stand location (laughs) and I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill this buck tonight, even though the trail camera pictures are showing them at like two 30 in the morning, you know? So basically just laying off hunting observation stands or, you know, merely just hunting does early season. I'm the kind of person I like to, I like to hunt. So I want to be out in the timber. So if I want to hunt, knowing that 
some of the mature bucks are not on their feet yet this time of year, I'm going to want to hunt some does or set up an observation stand to where I can see a long ways and possibly uh, get, you know, at least get a sighting of some of the deer I'm after. Do you, how many deer do you typically have on your hit list in a season? <laughs> Last year was probably my best year as far as a, a number of mature bucks I had on my hit list with about seven or so. And that's, that's like four years old. And, you know, I'm not one to brag, but I happen to live in, you know, obviously Iowa and in one of the best zones in Iowa. So I'm, I'm very blessed with the areas that I can hunt this year. I think there's, as of right now, there's maybe four or five. I haven't really put together my entire hit list yet just because I haven't been able to check my trail cameras as often mm-hmm. as I'd like. Going out West kind of hinders that. <laughs> well, <laughs> and having kids. Not, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Kids hinders that, hinders that. So that's how I was, I was, that's one of my questions for you today, Dan, is how do you juggle your family and your addiction uh, cause I know it's always a challenge for myself and it's going to be a challenge for Mark. So wanted to hear I, your thoughts. Yeah. My only advice is find hunting property as close to your house as humanly possible. Absolutely. My, my main hunting farm's an hour and 25 minutes away from my front step. So this summer I focused a lot on trying to find hunting property closer. So mm-hmm. I just gained access. It's not a very big piece, but it's going to let me hunt, um, like one mile from my front door. So nice. that's not the best piece of property, but it's, you know, still it's good. close. Yep. If you could like personally recommend three tactics on killing a mature deer <laughs> and you could narrow them down, what would Out they be? The oh man. And you know, the thing about it is killing mature deer is a lifelong adventure. I mean, it's, it's not one of these things where I don't care who you are. If you're someone like, uh, you know, uh, Andre Diaquisto, for example, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's a known big buck killer. Yep. And I mean, even if you're like him, I bet you he learned something different every year, just like myself. I learned something different every year. So to try to narrow down three tactics that are guaranteed is kind of difficult, but the three that work for me the most is the one, the first one that comes to my head is putting the deer or putting yourself in a position where the deer has the advantage almost. And, and you're kind of riding this invisible line, right? So if a deer is coming straight on you, straight to you, your wind is either, just to the left or just to the right. You, mm. It's almost like one of those things where if the wind shifts just a little bit, your hunt screwed. Yep. You have to put yourself in in that, you know, that good of position almost that, every time. And that's counter to a lot of guys. It's like, man, I need that wind right in my face, or I'm not going to be happy with the spot that I'm hunting. Right I, now, that would that leads me to my second kind of thing, which would be access to those stands. You know, if you want to put yourself into a position and leave the lowest amount of scent in the air while you're accessing your uh, stand, it's awesome to have scent, you know, the wind blowing in your face or taking a very low point or, you know, sometimes you have to take a, a very out of the way route to get to your stand locations. But, you know, if it leads to an encounter 
of the deer you're chasing, then, you know, it's all the better. Absolutely. And then the third would be trail cameras. I mean, I live and die by those things. I mean, they let me know if there's not a deer that's on my hit list in that area, I'm really not going to waste my time because every hunt is important to me, you know? And Mm -hmm. if you guys, I mean, if you guys have kids, you know that you can't get out and the days of hunting 30 days in a row are over. Absolutely. (laughs) Don't tell me that. (laughs) that, I'll be your wake up call. How about that? (laughs) Last year was my first year hunting archery and I started with a recurve bow and, uh, and it was the first time this spring was the first time I hunted an entire season and hunted every day of season. And then it's like the daughter comes along and I just got into that rhythm where I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. And now it's over. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're telling me though. (laughs) Right now I got my daughter. She's in the process of being potty trained right now. So that's a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) See, my son, uh, he's three and a half, potty trained, goes hunting with me. And now I can't walk out the door with my bow without him wanting to come, which is a good thing. But (laughs) my my hunting mature deer is pretty much, (laughs) unless I sneak out before work and tell him I'm going to work, it's not happening. (laughs) Sometimes you have to throw a little white lie out there. A little bit, yep. We'll edit that part out so that if, if, <laughs> if your wife or daughter ever listens to this, you're covered. <laughs> My next question for you, Dan, would be, and I, I'm a big fan of Wired to Hunt. I've probably listened to most of the podcast, but a lot of good I think, information too. yeah, absolutely. I think you, from listening to him, you're more of either you can get out more in the mornings than you can in the afternoons, or you're more of a fan of morning hunts than you are afternoons and most of the the gurus the whitetail gurus that kill mature deer are always in fan of hunting afternoons and i was just kind of curious of you know your your take on that and um what it is just because i always hear it well here's here's let me clear something up real quick i am a fan of hunting any situation where the the odds are in your favor. So what I mean by that and why I say I'm not opposed to hunting mornings early season, I'm I'm not opposed to hunting any type of morning or evening set where either the wind is in my favor or the trail cameras are showing maybe a buck returning late to um, the bedding area. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I disagree with all these, you know, quote unquote experts. I feel that if you can pattern a deer and you you have a, a situation where you can, you know, have an encounter with said buck in a morning hunt, I'm going to be hunting mornings. I'm not just going to wait because it's early season. You know, I'm not, I'm not waiting until the rut or until the pre-rut to chase these deer. I'm patterning them from, October 1st. And as their patterns change, I'm changing my stand locations. So it's not, it's not like I'm hunting mornings to basically go against the grain or, or, or disagree with anybody. I'm doing it because I have proof from my trail cameras or from an observation stand that there is a mature buck in the area. And that's why I'm going in after him. Mm-hmm. How, how many trail cams do you typically run during a season? Right now, I have six up. 
Right on. <laughs> six and that and uh, I'm a little bit behind this year. Right now they're still on my mineral stations, but um, this weekend uh, I'm actually heading back to my um, hometown and uh, and uh, my hunting property is probably another thirty minutes from that. But I'm going to be switching my trail cameras off mineral stations to um, pinch points, popular field edges, trap travel routes that are easily accessed so i can go in check my trail cameras without too much pressure how how often too this is all the whole trail cam thing is awesome like i love reading and doing research about it i currently have a one (laughs) yeah but um so it's always good like i love hearing strategy and uh and how guys use them um how often do you typically check them well it just depends on how often I get back to my farm. So like when October 1st hits, you know, as soon as the season starts, I'm going back to my farm every weekend. So during the summer, it's once a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. During the, uh, um, during the, the actual bow season, I'm checking them once every week and that's in the weekends. So at some point, I'm not checking them all together at one time. If I'm going to hunt an area, I'll stay out till I hunt it and maybe check the trail camera on the way in or the way out but uh, typically once a week, once the season starts. Right on. My problem is I probably have seven or eight trail cameras and I run them on my 30 acres <laughs> that I own. <laughs> and every day I get home from work, I'm like, hmm, I know I shouldn't go check a trail camera, but right. I love to right. do it. So yeah. that's part of it for me. Like It's kind of like, well, I know I'm probably screwing myself up, but... I have fun and, and enjoy ch- checking my trail cameras with my son. So I check them more than I probably should, but. And that's um, what it's all about though, man. You know, it's, yep, it's absolutely. fun. It's fun to do. It's fun to, you know, check these cameras and you're like, Oh, there he is. Or I know that buck, you know, there's Randy or, you know, whatever you, you know, <laughs> I like to give, I like to give my bucks names, but, uh, it, it's just fun seeing what's out there. Absolutely. Go ahead, I, go ahead. uh, I heard on a recent podcast, I went on vacation to North Carolina. So I was listening to quite a few podcasts on the drive, the 10 hour drive. So I listened to quite a few, but one that really rang my bell and it was common sense, but, um, I can't remember who the guest was that you guys had on, but he was talking about the best times when the moon was overhead and underfoot. And during those times that the moon is overhead or underfoot, if it falls on a normal deer pattern or deer movement, which would be morning and afternoon. Those are his times that he marks on his calendar with a big X, um, stating he has to be in the woods. So I was kind of curious how you felt on that. And I was thinking to myself, man, those are the days that, you know, I need to let my wife know that those are the days I want to be in the woods, (laughs) but it was kind of common sense to me, but it never really registered to really look for those specific dates. So well, it, I tell you what, if you're going to, the, the way I look at it is if you're, if you're a guy who can only hunt on Wednesdays or on Fridays and Saturdays, or, you know, only has a small set amount of times they can hunt, my opinion would be, you know, don't worry about the moon phases. Don't mm-hmm. worry about, um, you know, certain, 
risings and settings and barometric pressures because what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up um, you're going to end up basically talking yourself out of hunting when even if the wind's right you're going you're going to say to yourself man well the pressure's not right the moon's not right maybe I should stay out of this area I think those tasks that those tactics are more for the guy who can get out anytime every he wants day. every day all season long those are the tactics where you may want to wait and go into your best area you know when when you have all these things like uh, like high high pressure and you know one of the the moon phases you know whether the moon's rising overfoot or setting at the same time that deer are traditionally move you know you you add all those things together and it may increase your odds um but for the guy who you know for the guy who is a weekend warrior i just i just don't think that it's you know yeah it might it's be helpful problem. in the long run mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's just why would you want to not hunt based off where the moon's at that's my problem i hunt yeah. you know i can hunt every morning until you know, roughly eight thirty, and then I got to be work by I got to be to work by nine, but I work late, so I can't hunt the afternoons other than Thursday and Saturday, and Sunday we yeah. can't hunt in Pennsylvania. So I have two two nights out of the week that I can hunt afternoons, which is quote unquote the the best time to be in the woods. So I do a lot of morning hunting, and I you know I I love to hunt too much to stay out of the woods, so it's it's difficult to me to juggle stands and, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, our, I, I feel that some of this information is proven that yes, you know, barometric pressure does have a lot to do with animal movement and moon phases. You know, I've heard, you know, on that, on our podcast, we, we talk about directly overhead and directly underfoot and we also talk about guys who believe that if this moon is rising as the sun's setting or the or the moon is setting as the sun's rising those are the best times to be in the woods so it's i mean it's just personal opinion and you got to do a lot more research than listen to me (laughs) so (laughs) i think the reality is that if you have a day that you can hunt find a place that you can hunt where the wind's in your favor and 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 get out if you if you don't have the percentage of chance to kill a mature deer who cares if you get in a stand and are looking and and like observational stands and have that opportunity to see something it's a sure a heck of a lot better than uh, not being out and it just depends on what your season goals are i mean if you're one of the if you're one of those people who has one buck in mind yeah then you're not going to want to hunt you're going to want to wait and be patient and, you know, do what it takes on that end, maybe wait for the late October or even the rut to go in after them. Or if you're the kind of guy who's like, if it's brown, it's down, you know, you should be hunting every day. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I feel you there. <laughs> yeah. That's Mark in a, in a nutshell, which, you know, it's great. I really respect his opinion on and, and stuff like that. And that's so. the beautiful thing about hunting too, is that's like, right. it's, it's, it's a very personal thing. It's ingrained in your DNA and what you're, what you feel is right. Just do it and enjoy it. And that's like, we do a traditional, um, archery podcast is what it's flavored or what it's about for us. Like we love hunting with long bows and recurve bows, but if you go out with a 300 wind mag and kill a hundred pound doe, awesome. Like that's great. Just enjoy doing what you're doing. That's right. 
Have you ever thought about going back to uh, traditional archery, Dan? You know, I, I thought about it a little bit, and um, I I don't have enough experience with you know kinetic energy and how. Like I know that my bow right now, the way I have it set up, could probably go through a car door. But <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I do that on purpose because I've had experiences in the past where I've hit a shoulder or a, a front joint of a, a buck and it didn't go through and didn't kill him. So now I'm driving a Mack truck and my goal is to have as much kinetic energy as possible to get mm-hmm. as much penetration as possible. And, you know, from a traditional standpoint, I don't even know what, what are your guys's, do you guys know how fast you're shooting or yeah, the weight you know, of arrows a, and all that stuff? Absolutely. And honestly, from a traditional standpoint, you know, my buddy told me this and I'll repeat it over and over again. You can make it as simple as you want or as complex as you want. And the more you get into traditional archery, the more complex it gets. And what I found, cause I've shot compounds for years also is traditional archery is more complex than, you know, compound or modern day archery will ever be because it means so much more when you're not shooting a high speed bow, high kinetic energy. So we follow a, a really like Dr. Ashby type of, uh, of thing where it's not so much the kinetic energy, it's the high FOC, heavy weighted arrows, and, and that's what's going to drive through the deer. So, I mean, the, the setups we're shooting now, you know, for instance, I shoot uh, around a 50 pound bow with uh, an arrow that weighs 535 grains with an FOC that's around 25 to 26%, which is front of center mass. So all the weights up front and I have no problem blowing through a front shoulder of a deer with that setup. Um, so, you know, the, the kinetic energy in his theory is when that arrow hits the deer, if you don't have a razor sharp broadhead or a, a high FOC, you lose all that kinetic energy throughout the deer versus penetrating through the deer. So his whole theory is it's not just kinetic energy. It, it has a lot more to do with um, you know, your arrow weight and stuff like that. So that's where I focus and I haven't had any problem, but, um, obviously kinetic energy has a lot to do with it as well. Um, and that's, you can kill a deer with a 35 pound. Oh yeah. And that's if, if your shot placement is good and, but there is absolutely nothing wrong with making sure. No, absolutely (laughs) not. And we have nothing like, I love compounds. I love any type of hunting. Um, but you know, I'm shooting and I, I have a high end custom bow with, you know, carbon foam limbs and, and carbon inlays. So they're, they're shooting 190 feet per second, 200 feet per second, which seems low, but um, that's actually really fast for a long bow. Um, and I shoot, I'm, I'm a little bit smaller statured and not as strong, but I, I got a 45 pound at 28 inches and I only draw 27 and a half. And, uh, I haven't had the opportunity. I just got that bow over the winter after deer season last year. Um, but I am confident that if I put that arrow where I need to, it's going to pass right through the deer. And, uh, it's, it's getting that guessing game out of it, I think is nice too on your end and on, 
um, where if you clip that front shoulder, the mule deer I killed last year, um, I clipped the front shoulder and my heart dropped when I heard that crunch of that arrow um, touching that front shoulder and not penetrate, not flying the whole way through. But luckily the bow was set up well enough that it got through and heart shot the deer and it went 40 yards and died. Um, but it's, there's a lot, a lot that can go into it. And for me starting off last year, like it can be as simple. <laughs> it can be so easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two blade broadhead, single beveled, you know, that cut that S shape and are more for bone breaking versus blood trail makes a big difference for, for me as well. I mean, I can honestly say with my arrow setup, I don't care how big the buck is or how much it weighs or the, the bone structure of the mature, that mature animal. I don't worry about the front shoulder. I honestly don't. I, I feel like I can break through at least one side and I really don't personally, I really don't worry about a complete pass through. Um, only because the last seven or eight deer that I've killed, they've fallen in within sight and I haven't even had to really track them. So, you know, that's kind of our standpoint on it, Dan. But um, if you are interested in it, I, I really wouldn't be afraid of doing it, you know, just yeah. jump in, man. It's something that, you know, over the, you know, over the years I've looked at, you know, because I love seeing the actual arch in archery mm-hmm. you know what i mean absolutely so, you know that whole you know you know all the compound bows they're built for speed right now and they uh the arrow just goes zinging zinging by and i just love seeing that <laughs> it's an amazing thing it really is and especially when you don't have sights and you just kind of draw back hit your anchor and you know i'm kind of uh in betweener, they call them, I guess you could say is instinctive versus gap. I, I kind of gap is paying attention to what your arrow, where your arrow is. So you put your point on the deer or, um, use your point for a reference versus not using it at all. It would be instinctive. And I kind of use both. I, I, I have an awareness of where my arrow is, but I focus on the spot that I want to hit. And I can honestly say I'm pretty effective out to 40 yards. I shot my doe last year at 35. And uh, having that second um, to kind of think about things when you release that arrow and watch it fly towards the deer is something special in itself. So, Cool. Well, Dan, one of my favorite aspects of our uh, podcast is hearing hunting stories. And that's if we were sitting around a fire right now, we wouldn't be talking about long bows or recurves <laughs> or compounds. Um, we'd be hearing you tell us about, uh, about some of your favorite experience. Um, what's one of your most memorable hunting stories, if you wouldn't mind sharing? Man. <laughs> shipwreck i want to hear put about me on shipwreck. the spot and I, I talk about shipwreck all the time i, I tell you what though it's epic buck, though i know that buck has changed the way i hunt i mean um long story short he he was uh you know i saw him at probably a four or five years old four probably a four-year-old he was 170 that year had him at four well, I had him at about 14 yards and his, I could have taken a shot, but it was, it would have been a little bit unethical shot. I could have shot him like in the back, maybe a liver. None of his actual vitals were exposed to me, 
but uh, I let him walk, and uh, he kind of he kind of caught my wind, and um, I let him walk. And over the next five years, that buck had me had me using my brain, you know, had me thinking of ways to intercept him, and you know, basically this this buck gave me an education on how to hunt mature deer. And uh, although I didn't, uh, you know, I, I can think of two different occasions, three different occasions where I had um, close encounters with him um, that didn't result in the kill, but, you know, resulted in me learning something. Um, and although I didn't, I didn't kill that buck, you know, the, the neighbor ended up killing him um, the very last, you know, like 2012, I think, or I don't, I don't even remember. It's been so long ago, but uh he, uh, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where it's almost, you know, everybody, everybody has stories of them killing deer. Well, my stories for this particular buck don't involve killing. It's just the experience. It's the journey, man. It's the journey. Yeah, for sure. And you, you actually shot that deer, correct? Yeah. I shot him probably when he was an eight or nine year old, um, at about 22 yards broadside. And I'll be completely honest. I had buck fever really bad. It was one of those things where I've had encounters with big deer before him, but not a buck that I had been chasing hmm. for four years. I mean, I it's funny because in the North American whitetail article that I got interviewed for um, about that buck, the, the guy who shot him, Sam Calora, and then myself uh, were both interviewed for, uh, for that. And... Um, I thought about that buck absolutely every day of my life hmm. for five years. And, uh, That's unbelievable. I, yeah, I talked to, I talked to, um, Scott best, bestel, bestful, best, bestel. He's the writer who interviewed me. And I, I thought I said, you were going to say psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I said to him, I go, I can honestly tell my wife now that shipwreck is dead. I can honestly tell my wife that, she is the first thing I think about every day. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I, uh, it, it was, it was good the way it, uh, it ended up. Um, I don't know. It just, one of those things that just sticks with you and the way he moved in the way, I mean, he did everything big bucks do. Like he didn't move when it was hot outside. He didn't move, you know, early season. He didn't, I mean, he was in the thickest, nastiest bedding areas that you could think of. And every time he moved, it was calculated. It was, the wind was 100% in his favor, or I should say 99% in his favor every time. And he had a sixth sense about him that he knew, he just knew when there was trouble. And the, the only time I really ever beat him was the day I took a shot on him and I ended up not killing him, shot him, shot him high. Kind of funny story. The next year, the guy is uh, cleaning him and there's a scar that mm. was in, in his side and Sam Clora and calls me up and he's like, dude, I have no idea how you didn't kill this buck. Wow. Oh, I only got one lung on him. And, uh, then he did one of these things where he dropped and then rolled. So the entry of the arrow the arrow path kind of went from broadside up into a spinal cord. So it hit his, his bone and, uh, didn't go any further than that, but it was, uh, it's nuts. You think about it. You're just like, man, I'm wow. like, 
half inch, quarter inch off of having a 210 incher on my wall. But, uh, but you know, that's how it goes, man. That's, that's hunting for you. I've been there, done that, but not, not quite that that story. (laughs) (laughs) Not that big, (laughs) not quite that story, but I've had experiences like that where it just, you know, it happens. But speaking of, how did Sam end up killing that deer? Was it, uh, was he chasing it as well? Or was it just a uh, luck of the draw type of deal? He didn't know. He didn't know about that buck until I showed him trail camera pictures of him. I'm like, well, no, he didn't know about that buck until the previous year. He found his shed. Some Turkey hunters found his sheds on, on his property. Mm. And, uh, and then he was aware that that buck was in the area. And then we communicated with each other. And I'm just like, yeah, I've been hunting this buck for five years and we're on neighboring properties. So he's like, I cannot believe I never, I've never seen this buck. Smart deer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and because yeah, most deer, big deer, mature deer that end up on his property get killed. I mean, he's another big buck killer. And, uh, um, cold front came through, just had uh, mid, you know, I think it was, October 18th, um, huge cold front came through, right wind. Sam set up in the tree. He calls Death Valley, in a tree he called Death Valley. And uh, sure enough, shipwreck came through and popped him at about 14 yards. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things, instead of guys complaining, and guys saying, oh, that's my buck or, oh, man, I, I don't wish. You know, it's one of those things. He called me up personally. He said, Dan, I know how much this buck means to you. Um, he, you know, he told me he shot him. I congratulated him. And, you know, it, a friendship came of it, came of the whole thing. Instead of, you know, a lot of times big bucks can drive people apart. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen it in our areas yeah. numerous times. It's not, and it's not worth it, no. you know. So, you know, it didn't turn out my, you know, my way. I got a signed copy of the North American whitetail. He wrote a little note in there basically saying, dude, if anybody, if I want to see anybody kill a big buck, it's you. And that meant so much to me. And he ends up, uh, you know, signing it with another little note and, um, a friendship was born and that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. So that's a great story, Dan. Tell us uh, a little bit what you're doing with Nine Finger Chronicles and, uh, you know, about your, your blog post and how people can get in touch with you. Yeah. Um, the Nine Finger Chronicles, I mean, I'm just, I'm nobody special. Just like, to be honest with you, the all the big where, dogs. To be honest with you, we're nobody special too. <laughs> well, I know. I know. But, and, and I think that's how, I think that's how people have to look at individuals in the hunting industry because we have, we, we have kind of this, I don't know, this routine of putting people who kill just because they kill big bucks, we put them on kind of a, a pedestal, so to speak. And it, it's so serious all the time, you know, big bucks, you know, Hey, I killed this buck. I killed this buck. You know, it's kind of like a big dick contest and, it's, that's really not what it's I about. I lose every time. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but, I'm going to edit that out. I'll edit that out. Uh, okay. Continue, continue. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, 
it, you know, you guys have a different hunting scenario than I do. Um, and you know, I just, I like to write about my experiences and things that work for me in the past. And most important is having, having fun. I, my, I, I hope that my writing reflects a little bit of a lighter tone to the hunting industry, like hunting, because it is, it is about experiences. It's about having fun. And, you know, it's, if, if you're so focused on killing the largest scoring deer available, then I think, I think a lot of people are missing the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful point, man. And that's, that's like the guys that go out with a compound bow or guys that go out with a recurve bow or guys that go out with a self bow and they don't get it done in that first week. And then they're like, Oh man, I'm going to grab my compounder. You go through archery season and it's like the rifle season overlaps in some places. And it's like, Oh, I'm going to get my rifle because I have to kill something. I have to get a monster buck or I have to do this. It's, it's not about that. It's about just being out and having a good time doing it, man. I think you nailed it there. You nailed it. I mean, I eat my tag. I I've eaten my buck tag for Iowa since 2006. I've only killed three bucks. So I, I have, I have high standards for myself and I've set those standards and I, and I follow them. That doesn't mean that you guys or anybody else should follow my standards. I just, if I want to kill something, I'll kill a doe, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that, you know, if you want to, you know, truly, if you want to, if you want to have a buck reach its highest potential and I'm in an area where I can do that, then you're going to, you got to let them get to mature. And, you know, a mature deer, here's a fun fact that I learned from Sam Calora that, um, a whitetail skeletal system is fully developed at the, at its, the end of its fourth year. All right. So during its fifth year, it, all that calcium that was going to bone growth now goes to antler, um, antler development, depending on their diet and how everything works. Mm -hmm. So typically what you'll see is. A, a decent jump now now that's not saying that that jump is bigger than it from two to three or three to four but from a from a biology standpoint they're they're done growing their muscle their their bone structure and then all that calcium goes to you know keeping the bones healthy and then the antlers mm-hmm. so there's, you know, there's so many things that go into it, but that's just kind of a cool fact that I, awesome fact. Thanks for sharing that with us, Dan. My biggest question out of the entire podcast for you is because I really miss it. Are you going to start filming again? I don't know. Uh, I've now that I've kind of walked away from, uh, the whole filming aspect and have gotten into the writing and, and kind of the pictures, I, I have, I said, no, I wasn't, but I ended up buying a camera arm. So <laughs> I tell you, self-filming is an SOB. And, uh, <laughs> it is. Thank you. For, yeah. Cause we try to do that as much as possible. Cause we, we love, we just love to film. We, we yeah. like that artsy side of it. We, we love to do it. We love to create films, even, even though we don't kill giant bucks or, any we don't kill guys. anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, we try to put some type of story together to let our listeners know that what what we believe is the true meaning of hunting. Um, 
but we, we just enjoy doing that. And what I miss most about your, your filming is, uh, you being a jokester in the tree stand and having <laughs> fun. Really, man. I, I really miss that. And, and that's what drove me to, uh, start traggy, start filming, uh, getting into it more than what I was when I was younger. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, if you're not having fun, you're kind of missing the point, but you know, the reason I, I, I have to double, th- you know, really think about if I, I really do, you know, a cameraman, he costs money. And, uh, if I want to truly be focused on the animal that I'm hunting, like not last year, but the year before, I was, I let a, he was probably 165, uh, probably a five-year-old walk through two shooting lanes as I'm trying to film him. And so instead of taking the, the chip shot right in front of my stand, I end up taking a less than, you know, less than great shot. And I end up not killing him because I'm trying to, because I'm trying to film him. So it's one of those things where if you're fiddling with a camera, then you're not focused on the kill a hundred percent. And, you know, I don't have a ton of big deer on my wall and that's something that, you know, is, is not really important to me, but it'd be nice to, you know, to actually continue to kill deer that are on my hit list. And I feel that if I'm, you know, the devil, I got the angel on one side of me and the devil on the other and the devil's like, film everything and <laughs> the angel's like well you better make sure you have the clean shot so it's an ethical shot you know just so you know i'm to- i'm torn i i have the equipment for it but we'll see do you want some advice from a nobody <laughs> <laughs> go for it film yourself and if you don't get the kill shot it's okay man yeah. it really is just take the camera film yourself in the tree put it all together because to me I could care less about seeing that kill shot. It's, it's yeah. about the story. It's about uh, seeing you out in the field and enjoying yourself. And I can guarantee you in Pennsylvania, and I have some nice bucks that are probably specifically one farm that I have the capability to hunt. Now the chances of me killing this deer, it's a mainframe 12 typical, typical buck. He's probably only three years old, but he's scoring 160. If I have the chance to kill that deer and I have the camera in the stand with me, which I will, I can guarantee you that it's zoomed out as far as it possibly can go and it's set up. And if the buck's in frame, great. And if it's not, I don't care. So, you know, the other thing I I've really been struggling with is like the purity of the whole thing. And I've had since 2006, I've had somebody else in the tree with me for the most part. I've, I've filmed myself, um, as well, but it's almost like I'm trying to get back to the basics Mm -hmm. and just try to, you know, you get in the morning or the afternoon, you set your tree stand up, you set your camera up and then you're, you're, you know, you have something else on your mind. It's not that I I don't want to film my stuff or document my hunt, but it's almost like I need to, I, you know, I, and I hate to say it cause it sounds arrogant, but I've been in the hunting industry for eight years and it's almost like I want to take a step away from it for a while. If that I makes get sense. It. Yeah. It makes sense, so, man. Yeah. Kind of, kind of intrudes on your privacy 
so to speak, and something that you love and you don't want to share it with anyone but yourself. Right. Right. And I'm, I, I, I didn't have that grown up. Um, when I was younger, I didn't really have somebody show me the ropes hunting. My, not a lot of people in my family were hunters. My, my uncles were, but they lived a long ways away and they were gun hunters. So everything that I have learned for the most part, I'm not saying a hundred percent of it has been kind of my, on my own. So I've, I've always been kind of a solo type hunter and, uh, getting back to that would be for me, I think is going to be kind of a a rebirth if that makes sense. That's awesome, man. And that's something it's like, there are so many reasons to film your hunt. Um, but I, I think if you, uh, define that for yourself, like I know for me and Kevin might have a different viewpoint. Donnie Vincent might have a different viewpoint. Cameron Haynes might have a different viewpoint, but like, I love to film my hunts because I've got this four week old daughter downstairs that someday instead of her having to listen to me stumble through trying to remember a story (laughs) of how I killed a deer, like I want to be able to be like, this was where I was at in South Dakota, or this was where I was at in Colorado, or this was where I was at in my backyard. And this deer came out and it's not in focus and it's not, you don't even see the kill shot because I forgot to hit record, but this is what happened. And it's an amazing thing and so I think if you if you can define that for anybody else out there if you define what your expectations are getting out of it just go for it and be happy with it if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen if it does it does like if you're a guy that has to get everything on film and you pass you have to pass up that monster buck that you've been hunting your whole life because you couldn't get the camera in focus be happy with that and enjoy doing that right that's a fact right on man i agree mark <laughs> we <laughs> we really Touché, appreciate friends <laughs> absolutely we really appreciate you coming on the show dan uh we won't hold you up any Let's, longer from uh, your family plug plug yourself your yeah, website absolutely. your facebook any place that guys can get in touch i love reading your posts i love looking into what you're doing so uh where can people find you dan and for my sake film because i love watching <laughs> i love watching you be a prankster in this tree stand i really do i miss it um yeah my website is ninefingerchronicles.com that's that's my blog um i got some new things coming up uh can't can't really say what it is right now, but I got some new things coming down the line. And then, um, I have Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook page, just, you know, search the nine finger Chronicles and, and you'll find it, uh, look for a hand with only four fingers on it. That's, <laughs> Wait that's a probably me. I still haven't heard the whole story. Well, let that. me, let me just say, cause we touched on this before we actually started recording. Um, but Dan and I have something in common my dad has nine fingers so technically my dad and dan have something in common but i wear a ring that is by a company and i think i've seen them on your website before called Quelo. Kalo or Kalo. Yep. i can't yep. read i'm from western pennsylvania and i can't pronounce <laughs> words and i can't spell which if you've ever seen anything trad geeks misspelled it's kevin not it's me because <laughs> i suck at spelling you would not believe how well Everyone would believe if anything's misspelled or grammar's wrong. I'm a doctor. I don't know how to spell. 
<laughs> and my wife harps on me all the time. He actually, we're working on a on a new website and on a prototype <laughs> Don't even. on no. a prototype of the website, like the earliest stage, he had traditional spelled two different ways and they were both care. wrong. I just <laughs> I hey. just type it out. I don't even think about it. I really I work don't. for a company that builds websites for small <laughs> businesses. And I tell you right now, if it wasn't for, you know, autocorrect, auto, you know, correct spelling, I would probably be working at Mickey D's. <laughs> I couldn't even do that right. Mostly. I just, I don't even think about it. I really don't. I just think it's correct. I type it out real f- as fast as my fingers will go. I run five or six social media stuff so i don't even but i don't it's remember. my fault what, there's what no was, excuses what was the question i'm confused where we got on that tangent i apologize <laughs> i don't even <laughs> i think it was how i lost my finger yeah do you it care was. about talking about that i'll tell you the story about my dad because it's not my story it's his story if you tell us your story <laughs> okay so there's uh there's a river that runs through um the county that i live in and um in the summer times for fun, we would go hand fishing. So, you know, you stick your noodling, I think some people yeah, call oh it, yeah. so stick your hands under the rocks. And, um, well, long story short, I went up underneath this hole and I thought I had a catfish. So I st- stuck my hand up there a little further and it ended up being a snapping turtle. Oh, and, uh, I'm just joking. That's the story I tell most people. Oh Jesus! <laughs> this is why. This is why. This is why I don't know the true story. Uh, That's I tell beautiful. You, I'll have to. I gotta keep. I gotta keep something mysterious, right? Like that's awesome. I tell a. Uh, I tell a different story every time. It's funny, Matt. <laughs> Matt Hughes, you know the UFC fighter. Yeah, absolutely. I, I met him one time and uh, at a at a trade show and I was talking to him about my finger and how I lost it and stuff like that. And then one of his people came through <laughs> and was like, Hey Matt, we got to go before I could tell him that I was just joking. Mm-hmm. So every time like, so he's been, Oh, Hey, that guy over there, he got his finger bit off by a snapping turtle. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm not telling you the story of my dad losing his finger, but I will tell you the story if you really want to know. I don't care. Okay. I always I love hearing good amputation stories. I was I was 12 years old and my my dad and my grandfather we were going rabbit hunting. And uh but the reason that we were going rabbit hunting is because we have a family hunting camp and we hunt white-tailed deer during rifle season. That was how I was brought up. I'd hunt every first day of rifle season and uh, my dad just he he is the guy that kills deer at camp. He's killed more deer than anybody else. And it's just, it always amazes me that he can put himself in the right spot. And so learning from him has been amazing. So at 12 years old is the first year that you can hunt here in Pennsylvania. We go out and dad, because you're 12 years old, you're young. I mean, I, I could barely hold the gun up to my shoulder because I was a small statured kid. Um, so he, his idea is that he knows this great spot where it's a choke point, real thick mountain laurel, rifle season, tons of guys coming in. They'll push deer through this spot. Um, he's We're going to spike a tree, nail a nail ladder up, or well, screw in steps up, and then build a platform that him and I can hunt out of, rifle rests on any side. So no matter where the deer come, no matter wind direction, we'll be good to go. 
that screw in step and i'm sure you've heard nightmare stories of rings getting caught but it had an edge to it and he's he just gets the frame nailed in and i'm i'm standing down he hops off the second rung and lands and he turns to me and says hey bud I, I think I just lost a finger <laughs> and it, he was so calm and thank goodness. Cause I was 12 years old and probably would have just started bawling my eyes out, crapping my pants. But he was like, I need you to take my shoelace. And uh, so he wrapped his fingers up and tied, and I tied it off at 12 and my grandfather was out chasing squirrels, trying to kill some small game. And we just booked it for a hospital and ended up losing the finger. But that's that's why those uh, Kalo rings, that's why uh, I ended up ordering one so that I could just wear it while I'm out hunting or while I'm yeah. out doing work or anything like that and not worry about it. But they're so dang comfortable, I just wear it all the time. Yeah, and that's a fact. I uh, Almost two years ago, the podcast would have been called – or the podcast, my blog would have been called The Eight Finger Chronicles because <laughs> I was climbing a lone wolf and uh, the – the little step part comes down and I had turned my hand around to get a better grip on it for some reason. And, uh, my ring got caught on there, my ring finger. And I, it bruised up really good, but didn't, uh, didn't break it or pull any skin off. And I got lucky there again. So yeah. now I have these little rubber silicone rings and man, they're, they're pretty badass. That's it, man. I'm going to have to get one because I still wear my tungsten uh, wedding ring in and out of the stands. and That's a finger remover right there. <laughs> Just a matter of time. Kevin will That's be right. competition for you, Dan, if he keeps hanging <laughs> on to that ring and climbing trees with we'll, me. We'll change uh, Trag Geeks to Nine Finger Chronicles also. <laughs> dot, dot net. Dot, dot net. net. <laughs> Oh man. Well, we really appreciate coming on the show, Dan. We'd love to have you again and, and talk more about Whitetail, but uh, we're running out of time here. So Anytime. we won't keep you from your family any longer. Appreciate it. Dude, you keep me as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love them to death, but you know, you know, everybody needs a little break. <laughs> yes, sir. And we we'll, get it. Well, if you want us to send you a copy with that edited out, we'll do that. No, my wife knows. <laughs> my wife says the same thing. Uh, that's great. That's awesome, man. Thanks again, man, for coming on the show. Yeah, and uh, no worries anytime. We'll talk soon. Have a great night, brother. We're going to try something new now. This is a segment we talked about doing two weeks ago, where we share your hunting stories. Brought to you by Maven Optics, the leaders in custom-made binoculars. Here's a memory through better-looking glass. Build yours today at mavenbuilt.com. Today's Maven moment was submitted by Blaine. So after 10 years of wishing, wanting, and hoping, I finally harvested a deer with archery tackle. And to boot, it was with my U self bow and self arrows from this summer's past workshop with Ravenbeak Nature Works. The dream was a decade in the making, but this was the first deer I ever shot an arrow at. And I feel so overwhelmed with gratitude that this animal presented itself and allowed me to use him to feed my family. I was out at the farm where I've hunted for years. Deer populations are huge around here. Being Columbia Blacktail, they're supremely weary and it is hard to find bucks. Does are a dime a dozen, but trying to get past all those eyes, ears, and noses is tough, man. 
I've taken several deer from this place in the past with a shotgun. However, I've grown tired of packing around a heavy, cold machine for the warmth and natural feel of a stick bow. Two years ago, I built myself a maple board bow from info gleaned from various sites and YouTube. The bow actually worked. I never backed it and was so happy that I was able to have something to practice with. This past spring, I almost went to a wheelie bow due to the marketing of mainstream hunting media. When face-to-face -face with one, I just couldn't do it. Too heavy, cold, with no life to it. Upon this revelation, I decided that I would use that coin and join Raven Beak Nature Works Bow Building Workshop. I had a wonderful time during the four-day immersion, making a bow for hunting, along with a dozen bamboo arrows. A 66-inch American flat bow drawing 52 pounds at 28 inches. Smooth to draw, crisp release, and hard-hitting arrows. No hand shock, lightweight, and beautiful. So hunting season was upon us. I was packing a fiberglass recurve for the first few weeks, as it was the bow I practiced most with all summer. I had some close opportunities, but no shots. Nako was beginning to call my name. I took her out for a stump shoot with my brother-in-law over the weekend, and I was much impressed with my ability with the weapon. I decided that Nako would join me on my next hunt. I reached my stand location, hunting on the ground in a small grove of trees, a setup less than 10 yards where deer frequently enter on the field to eat. Several hours passed with many deer on the field 60 yards and further away. No chance to stalk them. As darkness neared, I was beginning to think tonight wasn't the night. Suddenly, something made me turn around, a feeling. Lo and behold, a small deer was curious of me and began walking towards me from the rear. The wind was perfect for my set and he kept working towards me. At first, I thought it was a fawn until I saw the spikes on its head. Turning around in my stool, I readied for the shot. My heart raced. I came to half draw and he went broadside at less than five yards and quickly went behind a tree, only to emerge out the other side. I saw a rib, came to anchor and released. I never saw the arrow flight, only the deer take off like a rocket, and I was left thinking, what just happened? I came out of my hole to check for blood. Nothing. Arrow? Nope. Did I miss? How could I miss such a close shot? I'm not the best archer, but I can hold my own inside 10 yards, and I was certain I came to full anchor. I looked and looked for sign. I called my pal who was hunting on a different field to come help. It was getting very dark by then. We searched and searched, no sign at all. Disappointed and resigned to the fact that I missed, the night was called off with plans to return in the morning. So many emotions ran through my mind on the drive home and that evening. I dreamt about the shot, vividly seeing the deer's rib, but never recalling the arrow's flight. A tough sleep to be sure, and an uneasy feeling about heading back to the farm. As I ready to leave the next morning, I said to my wife, you know he's going to be laying on the field with the arrow still in him, and I half believed myself. Could it be? Driving back out, trying to keep my level of expectations low and realistic, my stomach was in knots. Pulling into the same field where the shot happened, I slowly drove in, checking for any side at all. It had rained that evening, so the chance of finding blood was pretty slim. I'd gotten to about where my friend had parked the night before, and what was that in the field? My deer. Holy smokes, I was thrilled. 
I did do it. All my self-doubt was instantly released, replaced with confidence and pride. I called my wife, took some pictures, and sent messages to all my hunting buddies before getting to work. The arrow was in fact still in the deer. It had entered in the front shoulder, just missing the bone, slipping between two ribs, and exiting just behind the last rib on the opposite side, just clipping the gut. He had gone about 40 yards before expiring. It was no wonder there was no blood. When I released, the deer was broadside, but he turned slightly to quarter to me. Broadside, the Zwicky would have punched straight through, leaving me lots of blood to follow. The deer certainly died quickly. And if I had looked the direction he ran once out of the trees, I would have seen his death kicks. Field dressing a rigged deer was a challenge, and I got him loaded and headed for home. The drive was a reflection on the lessons learned from the hunt and recovery. Always ignore the self-doubt is a huge one. Approach the shot follow-up like the deer is dead, not instantly thinking your shot was missed. Not finding blood or an arrow sometimes means nothing. Also, while not wanting to pursue a wounded animal quickly, try to see where it might have gone. If this deer had left the field and went into the woods, it would have been gone forever. Making and hunting with your own homemade equipment is so fun and rewarding. Most of my equipment was self-made, including my bow, arrows, quiver, and leather arm guard. Out of respect for the deer, I will not post any grip and grin pictures. I feel blessed to join the ancient fraternity of bowyers and hunters who do it the hard way to gather food for their families. Thank you so much for that submission of the story. We want to thank Maven for the moment and uh, continue to submit your stories to Kevin at TragGeeks.com or Mark at TragGeeks.com. And we'll be sure to get them on the re- next and upcoming podcast. Yeah, definitely had a blast reading it. It really was um, tough to pick one. So we just went with the first one, like we said earlier, I think. Um, but what we're going to do now is the Trad Geeks giveaway. We uh, did a contest. The photo contest for the last week was take a picture of your bow and tag it on Instagram. And here's the audio from the little short video. We are We're actually throwing the Instagram video up before the podcast gets released so you'll see the video before you hear the audio and we had to edit it down to 50 or 15 seconds so here it is make sure you send us your address if you're the winner hey what's going on guys mark from trad geeks here kevin got a freaking sweet dvd we're handing off um stalkers in the backcountry this will sound a little bit different on the podcast because we'll be using the audio from the camera but all the entries are in this Sweet Maven Optics hat. I'm gonna pick one. And the winner is M Parks 270. So thanks to all the entries because we did the hat thing because all the entries were sweet and we couldn't decide on which one to go with. So we're stoked on this one and we'll get in touch with you so we can uh, send this upside down DVD to you. Mr. Parks, send us a your address and we'll get it out to you as soon as possible take care man thanks man the coolest thing about his submission was that his beagle is in the picture i think it's a beagle is it a beagle absolutely a beagle awesome picture man we were stoked uh at all the entries like we said uh that stalkers in the backcountry dvd will be on the way to you hopefully uh soon when we get your address to send it out south cox of stalker stick bows killing some massive mule deer and uh 
working on some bows. So it's and providing cool. us with that DVD. Thanks again, South. Be sure to check us out on iTunes at traggeeks.com, Instagram at traggeeks.com, and traggeeksmark.com. Which is new. This is uh, something different. And Facebook as well. So look us up, traggeeks and traggeeksmark.com. Uh, the thing that's uh, the thing that we've done the past, well, since Kevin and I started working together, um, when I kind of came along, he he showed me the ropes with traditional archery and kind of brought me under his wing as far as shooting and setting up bows and um, archery hunting and all the all of that stuff and the production side of things. When we went to South Dakota, I mean, we had a lot of time to talk on the drive out and the drive back. And uh, we've been working on this stuff together for for the past year and a half, almost two years now. We have a um, lot of great things coming. So a new website launch, new gear reviews we have coming out, new products we have coming out, a lot of cool things. So yeah. we're and stoked. And one of the, the convoluting things uh, that we decided for me was to do the Tradbow Productions thing. And uh, so if you'll, you've watched Expectations or have been on Trad Geeks, you see that Tradbow Productions terminology. Um, but we're dropping that that name completely, that idea completely, uh, and just going to keep everything the same name as Trad Geeks and uh, it's just going to be Kevin and Mark doing Trad Geeks, so there won't be the two separate entities that it seemed like there was, even though we both worked on everything together anyways. So it just kind of helps um, synergize cool, everything. You know, the cool thing, so people understand, is I'm very artsy, Mark's very artsy, and we like to post our own unique stuff. So if we ran just Trad Geeks Facebook page together, We'd be posting probably 50 times a day because we <laughs> we both like to post different things. And uh, not that they're similar, but we we just both like to add that add that aspect to Trad Geeks. So Mark's picking up Trad Geeks Mark instead of Trad Bow Productions, which he started because we knew we both like to do that stuff. So again, it's all for fun. We love to do this stuff. We love the outdoors and we both want to contribute. So anything you guys can do by liking both pages and submitting uh, stories or um, anything you can, can anything you can contribute to Trad Geeks, uh, we're open arms. So thanks again, guys, for listening. Make sure you subscribe to iTunes and give us a review because the reviews definitely help uh but yeah thanks again for listening man we appreciate it so a new thing that is uh we have another another new topic (laughs) that we're going to talk about a little bit more in depthly on our next podcast but it's a website that we think everybody should be involved in and we uh we touched on it with dan in our conversation but that website is gohunt.com so any any hunter that's looking to go out west Get involved in hunting mule deer, elk, or any big game out west that has no clue on units, uh, draw preference points, etc. Gohunt.com is the website to find everything. It is the go-to website for western hunting. So the uh, 
the benefits to having units and understanding and not having to do the research on your own are amazing. It's a subscription-based website, but here's the deal. If, if you sign up with the promo code TRADGEEKS, uh, it's typically a $150 um, subscription feed just to access all that information, which is worth its weight in gold. If you sign up with TradGeek's promo code, you'll actually get a $50 gift card for Kuyu. Mark and I are using GoHunt.com for our up-and-coming hunt. We're planning on going to Colorado next year to try and track down some elk. And mule deer. Or mule deer. I love mule deer. So we're using it absolutely, but it'll save your time, big time, by subscribing to the insider of GoHunt.com. So if you've never thought you wanted to hunt out west or it's like for me, it just seems like this ominous task, just check it out. Um, spend some time. It's it's not as difficult. I mean, I fletched my own arrow today and I <laughs> never thought I would. And it wasn't that difficult of a process. And we'll talk about that later too. But I think that's all the time that we've got this week. Thanks so much for listening. You know where to find us because we've already talked about that. We want to send a special thanks to our podcast sponsor, Kuyu, as well as our web sponsors, Maven Optics, Kestrel Knives, Zipper Bows, Stalker Stick Bows, Grizzly Broadheads, Tammy Sharpeners, Three Rivers Archery, Lacrosse Boots, DeerLab.com, Kanati Quivers, and GoHunt.com. As always, stay safe and shoot straight. <laughs>